Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator is reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. You never know when a mystery will be solved. On January 8th, 1993, one of Chicago's most notorious crimes took place and was almost immediately rendered a cold case. A decade later, and with the help of a scorned ex-girlfriend, the mystery behind the Browns' chicken massacre was finally revealed. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On January 8, 1993, in Palatine, Illinois, police got a phone call from a set of worried parents who claimed their son, Michael Castro, had not come home from his job at Brown's Chicken. This call was followed closely by a call from Guadalupe Maldonado's wife, who said that her husband had not only not come home from work at his normal time, but that his car was still in the restaurant's parking lot, despite the building clearly being closed up. Realizing that something must be amiss, police headed over to the Brown's Chicken to see if they could find any logical reason these two people had not come home from their shift. When they arrived, they found that the rear employee's door was opened, despite all the lights being off and the doors being locked. Once they entered the building, they found not only the bodies of the two missing men, but five others lying in the cooler and in the walk-in refrigerator of the fast food restaurant. When they looked up at the clock, it was five and a half hours past the 9 p.m. closing time. Those lying dead on the floor were owners Richard and Lynn Ellenfelt, the employees Guadalupe Maldonado, 46, Michael C. Castro, 16, and Rico L. Solis, 17, who are both high school students working at the restaurant part-time and both covering shifts, Thomas Menez, 32, and Marcus Nelson, 31. The motive for the murders seemed to become more clear when police took a look at the register and realized that between $1,800 and $1,900 was missing from the store, about $3,200 to $3,400 in today's money. The daughters of the Ellenfelts, who lay dead amongst their employees, were supposed to be at work the day of the massacre, but just so happened to not be present at the time of the murders. The discovery of their bodies and the lack of evidence leading to an arrest led to what would become a decade-long manhunt for the killers and one of the greatest mysteries in the Chicago suburbs. 
With nothing to go on and the case long since frozen, police were shocked to get a lead in March of 2002 from a woman named Ann Lockett, who implicated not only her boyfriend at the time, James Dagorski, but an associate named Juan Luna in the Brown's Chicken Massacre. Anne claimed it took her nine years to come forward because James threatened to kill her if she told anyone about the murders, but said that Juan Luna was a former employee of the restaurant and had connections to the case. Now, the name Juan Luna wasn't a new one to the police. In fact, they had questioned him back in 1993, but only because he was a former employee and any and all former employees were questioned during the initial investigation. Nothing about his interviews raised any red flags and he was free to go never once being considered a suspect in the case. Now there was Anne, who went further to say that the primary weapon used, a revolver, had been thrown into the Fox River on the night of the murder. Now, what no one knew, except the investigators, of course, was that a piece of partially consumed chicken was found at the scene and saved by evidence collectors as a means for comparing to any future suspects. Something that had yet to be done because, up until Anne's confession, there were no suspects in the case. That and the fact that using DNA to solve cases back in 1993 was still in its infancy. So they took that half-eaten piece of chicken and compared the DNA to that of Juan Luna. It was a match, and both Juan Luna and James Dagorski were taken into custody on May 26, 2002. While being interrogated, Juan confessed to the massacre, though his lawyers would later claim the confession was coerced after the police threatened corporal punishment and deportation. Regardless, both men, who met back in high school, were sent to trial. According to the prosecutors, James and Juan claimed that they wanted to, quote, do something big the night that they entered the restaurant around closing time. According to his confession, Juan ordered a four-piece chicken dinner before ordering all of the employees into the back room where they would be executed by the gun that Anne claimed was thrown into the river. Because he used to work at Brown's, none of the employees raised an eyebrow when he came in so close to closing. He also knew that, that there were no alarms and that the money would be stored in the back room safe. They concealed their guns, walked through the snow in a way that obscured their footprints, opened the door with a sweater-covered hand, wore latex gloves, and eliminated all of their witnesses. It seemed like the perfect plan. The defense sought to discredit the piece of chicken containing Juan's DNA by saying it had not been frozen for several days after the discovery and was allowed to thaw several times for examination and for testing. Their arguments, though, seemed to fall on deaf ears because on May 10th, 2007, Juan Luna was found guilty on all seven counts of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment without the chance of parole. They voted against the death penalty. On September 29th, 2009, James Dagorski was found guilty of all seven counts of murder based largely on the testimony of his ex-girlfriend Anne and another woman who both claimed he confessed to them about the murder. And on October 20th, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without the parole. During the penalty phase of the trial, one of Richard and Lynn's daughters spoke directly to Juan and said, You are responsible for your own family's suffering. Your family will now join ours in the circle of grief. James Degorski later filed an appeal and claimed that Ann Lockett, influenced by the $98,000 reward, lied about his involvement in the case so that she could collect the funds and split them with the other witness. She claimed that James called her one night at the hospital. 
she had been admitted after a suicide attempt and told her to watch the news because he had, quote, done something big. The lead story that night was the Brown Chicken Massacre, so she put two and two together and figured that James was responsible. However, according to Anne's roommate at the hospital that night, patients on suicide watch were unable to receive phone calls from anyone other than their family and were not allowed to watch any television. If all of that was true, then nothing about her testimony was truthful. However, the prosecution claimed that even without her testimony, the evidence against the men would still be overwhelming. The appeal was denied, but in March of 2014, James Zagorski was awarded $451,000 in compensation and punitive damages for having been beaten up by a sheriff's deputy in Cook County Jail in May of 2002. He suffered from facial fractures that required surgery, and the deputy was later dismissed. As of February 2020, the men remain behind bars, but for many, the mystery of the massacre remains. The Browns Chicken Massacre left a lasting effect on the entire franchise. Sales dropped 35% within a month, and the company had to shut down 100 restaurants in the Chicago area. The building was later destroyed, and a bank was built on the former location of one of Chicago's most notorious crimes. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on January 9th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.